You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at Iwu. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. Do we really want the Holy Spirit in our lives? On first glance at that question, the answer, of course, is yes, by all means, we want the Holy Spirit. And yet, maybe when we dig a little bit beneath the surface, we think of times in our life when we've shied away a bit from the promise of power that the Spirit brings. Maybe at times we've also been a little bit leery about the transforming work of the Spirit to bring purity to our lives as well. Writing this in his new book, Open to the Spirit, God in us, God with us, God transforming us, Scott McKnight says this, A sticking point when it comes to our understanding of the Holy Spirit is that humans are not open to the invasive, transcending, and transforming presence of the Holy Spirit. There are, of course, several reasons why we are not open, but two that come immediately to mind are we don't want transcending power and we don't want the transforming presence of God because we'd rather stay the way we are. Joining us today is Dr. Scott McKnight. Dr. McKnight is professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary in Illinois. He's the author of a number of acclaimed books, but today we will be launching our conversation from his new book entitled Open to the Spirit, published by Waterbrook Press. Welcome, Dr. McKnight. Aaron, thanks so much for having me, and it's good to be with you. Well, let's jump right into that opening line that I, I tried with. These two reasons that we are maybe keep the, the Holy Spirit at, at arm's length. Uh, you've listed those two. We don't want transcending power, and we don't want the transcend the transforming presence of God. Uh, why is it, you know, flesh those out for us. Where where do you see those at work that we resist the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, I think sometimes we resist the Spirit, or I think I would put it a little milder. We are not open to the Spirit sometimes because simply we are we lack understanding, we lack education we lack the information of the Bible. We're just unaware. Some of us resist or are not as open to the Spirit because of past experiences. And uh, in Open to the Spirit, I tell some of my own experiences early in my life where I was conditioned, I believe, to be less than open to the Spirit. And uh, probably one of those experiences is worth telling, and that was when I was a young boy, probably eight, nine, or ten, I don't know exactly the age, my parents took me on a Sunday evening, interrupted a perfectly fine wiffle ball game (laughs) in southern Illinois, and I had to put on church clothes and go to a Sunday evening service at my grandmother's church, which was in Heron, Illinois, and it was called a holiness apostolic or apostolic holiness, but a very strong Pentecostal church. And it, at, you know, I'd grown up in a Baptist church, and we'd been going to church two, three, four times a week. How, every time they opened the door, we were the first ones in. And uh, in this service, they had a pause, and they, they said, we're going to have a—I recall it, we're going to have a prayer time. And, you know, in my church, that meant the pastor was going to pray publicly, and he was—sometimes he prayed for 10 minutes. It was called the pastoral prayer, and he took that very seriously, and I learned a lot from that as a child. But— in this church, this Holiness Apostolic or Pentecostal church, just everybody started praying at once aloud. And some people walked forward and knelt, and some one person was laying down, and a lot of people had their hands raised. And I thought this was just 
a total mayhem. I had never seen anything like it in my life. And at the time, because it was so noisy, I didn't, uh, I wasn't able to discern, but uh, my father told me later that uh, people were speaking in tongues in there. And of course I didn't hear it because it was so noisy and I was just, uh, you know, I'm sure my gape, had, my, my jaw had fallen agape. I was just completely overwhelmed by the craziness for me because of how I'd grown up in a very sturdy church where the most uh, verbal thing that happened was someone, an older man might say amen to something, <laughs> but uh, that was about as, as uh, vocal and as expressive as we were. No one ever raised their hands. So because of that, I and because I asked questions of my parents, my, my parents pretty much put me at arm's length of anything Pentecostal and anything charismatic. And, and I think a lot of, I, I've encountered a lot of people who've had a very similar experience that they grew up in a church that was anti-charismatic because of some excesses in the charismatic or Pentecostal movement. So I think it's part information, it's part experience, and I think it's also, uh, and I would add to the two points that, you know, the, the points that you were making, is the, the element of fear of change, is that if the Spirit invades our life, uh, we are admitting that we are no longer in control. And that is a good thing. Mm. The, the out-of-controlness caused by the control of the Spirit is a perfect kind of out-of-controlness, that when we surrender our will, our heart, our mind, our entire body and being to the Spirit, um, and the Spirit invades us and occupies us and begins to guide us and transform us, that's, that's perfect. And we need to be open to that kind of invasion by the Spirit. So, so those are, those, that's what comes to mind, Aaron, when, when you ask that kind of question. I've just been sparked to have a brand new uh, episode on the podcast sometime, which is to get people's experiences of Sunday night church or Sunday night camp meeting that is kind of this rite of passage into their discipleship life that was, you know, a stirring moment or or another moment. I mean, just <laughs> autobiographically, I'm thinking about a time that my own parents took me to a camp meeting that was maybe 20 minutes up the road. It was at a, it was at a camp, Bible camp that we were, I had not gone to, my dad had gone to when he was when he was a child and it was a Pentecostal camp. And, and I would say about an hour and a half in that things, things took a, a bit more of a charismatic turn. And that was when we left. <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah. they, they knew it was coming, you know, it, was, it didn't surprise my mom and dad. They knew it was coming, but that was, that was, okay, this, this is, this is as far as our tradition takes us and, and off we go. And, uh, and that there was, we go. But so you've really, Did you grow up in a, ho in a holiness tradition. I did. I grew. I grew up in a, a church called the Standard Church of America, which was a very small denominational denomination, and merged with the Wesleyan Church uh, in the yeah, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, it was started well, by. Well, we are grateful. Uh, we're grateful to the uh, the Holiness tradition for its um, belief in openness to the Spirit and its experience of the Spirit that kept a witness of the spirit more alive in the American church and in the European churches. And so, uh, you know, I, I grew up the opposite side of the tracks where we were, we were against that kind of thing. So I did, my dad, my dad grew up in that, but he never, he never really liked it. So, 
Yeah, yeah it, it, you've, you've written this book open to the spirit. It's very readable. You've shared, uh, like you just said, you shared a number of stories in it to share your own experience. And it's interesting, uh, coming from, from my own story, my own tradition, we, we were very comfortable with having people raise their hands, give impromptu testimony, uh, pray for healing, testify to healing, testify to God's um, uh, transformative power mm-hmm. in in. I mean, deeply held addictions being broken in moments, and and seeing mm-hmm. the spirit's power at work, and so in in some ways, it's it's the work is very refreshing, but it's also convicting because uh, one of the things that my mentor said is that in our own denomination, and and at times in the holiness movement, that there was a there was a desire for respectability that sometimes left us more critical and less to use your phrase, and less open to the spirit and, and what he could do mm-hmm. and, and what he might do. And so even in, in my story, I was very open to things like uh, kinds of healing. You know, there's, there's some healings I was like, no, God doesn't do that. You know, just to confess that. There's other healings I'd say, yeah, I expect that God would do that. There's an expectation of God's transformative power, that he would bring freedom from sin, that he would give a conviction to, to love and a power to love. And yet some of the more demonstrative aspects of the Spirit's work that we might associate with speaking in other languages and things like that, there was more of a more of a, a skepticism or a closeness, you could say. So I've appreciated going through this book and, and discerning, seeing, oh, what was the experience like of becoming open to the Spirit from one uh, from another uh, tradition? Well, I had my my um, I think I can call it it was a conversional experience. Uh I've often said I'm not absolutely certain when I was saved. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church, uh, prayed to receive Christ when I was about six, had a little bit more of an experience a couple years later. But it was when I was in high school that I was at a church camp that a, a our teacher, who happened to be a president of a Bible college in Kansas or Nebraska, uh, I'm not sure now, who said uh, that we needed to uh, pray to be open to the Spirit, uh, and he was basing everything that week on Ephesians five eighteen. Uh, you know, we were not to be drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. And at that time, the uh, it's called the Bird Book. Now, the Campus Crusade had a second little book beyond four spiritual laws on the uh, reception of the filling of the Spirit, and that was sort of the basis of the week. And so there was a lot of talk about being filled with the Spirit. And he asked us to pray, you know, that God's Spirit, you know, confess sin and pray that God's Spirit would fill us. And the next morning I got up and early and went to breakfast and the door was shut. So I went around the corner and sat under a tree and I did exactly what Dr. Benson told us to do. And I can tell you, Aaron, from that moment on, my life was never the same. I was filled with the Spirit. It was a, a tactile experience. I suppose if I'd have grown up charismatic at that moment, I would have spoken in tongues, but I wasn't, I didn't even know what it meant, you know, to do that sort of thing. And I probably thought if I'd have done that, I'd have been demon possessed or something like that. So I prayed. And from that moment on, I had a calling on my, I mean, I knew within minutes that I wanted to become a Bible teacher, a professor, a pastor, a missionary, something where I was doing what the Lord had called me to do. And uh, so I had um, all the markings of a charismatic conversional experience. It was it was about being baptized uh, in that sense with the Spirit. 
I'm reminded of a quote that I just came across this week from Bishop Robert Barron um, out of California. He, he wrote this. He said, Jesus told us that the Father would never refuse someone who asked for the Holy Spirit. So ask and ask again. Realize that, and this is what he said, realize that every liturgy is a begging for the Holy Spirit. Um, interesting that, that you've, you've framed it as I expect that many of our listeners might is, is this pursuit of the Holy Spirit, this asking for the Holy Spirit was kind of a, a, a personal moment. It, you know, it was, um, it was a moment where they're kind of off, off to themselves. And yet, uh, Baron reminds us that our, our acts of worship, our, our structured and public worship is a request, is a gathering for the Holy Spirit. Maybe we think about Jesus breathing on his disciples and saying, receive mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit on the, well, mm-hmm. that was a that was an evening service too. Right? That was an evening service. So there you go. Yeah. Theological. Well, Bob Barron, Bob Barron there, uh, who used to teach right down the road from from me, within a mile, at the Saint Mary of the Lake uh, Seminary here in Mundelein, Illinois, uh, near we live in Libertyville, but it's right next to Mundelein. And and Bob is talking about the invoking of the Spirit in the classic church liturgy that we ask the spirit to come upon us and this is a part of uh, leaders should be praying for the spirit so the invocation the invoking the request the invitation whatever word you want he calls it begging the begging of god to send his spirit should be a continual posture of us in public worship and also of us in private worship and in daily living so I hadn't seen where Bob Barron had said that, but uh, I I really like what he says. I, I totally agree with him. Let me delve into just what you said there for a moment. Uh, you talked about our our beseeching, our begging, or seeking of the Holy Spirit in corporate worship, in our in our public, in our corporate worship, in our private lives, and and in our daily living. And I want to use that to to talk about uh, one of the sections you have in the book called "How to Read a Bible That Is God Spirited." Uh, you've got a you've got a diagram. It's kind of like a dance, and and I'm going to try and describe it with words here. Uh, down the right hand side of this of this circle. You have tools of interpretation, habits of analysis, what the Bible says, and your faith communities pass. So some some objective, skill-oriented things. Um, on the on the left side of the diagram, moving back up to the top, you have uh, your faith communities present, what the Bible means, habits of formation, and prayers of illumination. So if I can bring our, our readers or listeners along, it's kind of this this balance and, and dance between objective skills and history of interpretation and then present application and present seeking and and character formation and and prayer of of seeking, right? A, a spiritual act of seeking God through his word. And and you describe how at one point you may have seen the spirit in one side or the other, but now you're trying to see the spirit as you read scripture in all of this, right? The spirit is in how we shape our skills and practice our and practice habits of, of exegesis. The spirit is in uh, how we get to know our faith story and tradition and know that well, and then, and then be faithful to it in the present. The spirit is in our character formation and of course, is the one who is uh, working to to elicit and answer our prayers of illumination as well. Uh, as a seminary professor, uh, can you talk to us a little bit about about that? Why did you see it as so important to see the Spirit in all aspects of that practice of biblical interpretation? Um, I grew up and actually was taught this uh, in seminary by uh, by a colleague, who, someone who became my colleague that we are to do the rational exercise 
of scriptural interpretation through the gift of mind. And that when we are done, the spirit becomes active with the truths that we have discerned to apply them to our lives. Let me give you an illustration. I, I've sat through hundreds of sermons that finished uh, after a lengthy Bible exposition, verse by verse type thing, that finished with a prayer, now God send your spirit and apply this word to our heart. These two uh, um, elements of my own story and history illustrate the point I'm trying to make, and that is that for some people, uh, Bible interpretation, Bible exegesis, exposition, is a purely rational exercise. One of my colleagues said a Jewish rabbi taught him more about the Book of Romans than any Christian he's ever heard. and the insinuation was that that rabbi did not have the spirit so so i grew up in this in this world and i've heard this repeated time and time again it's a rationalism that uh, interpretation is up to the mind that we do all the work with our head but then the spirit attends us afterwards and applies it to our heart okay uh there's something about that that's probably very helpful for all of us but I, I've approached this over time in a completely different way. Namely, I believe that the Spirit of God inspired Scripture so that the Bible that we read is a Spirit-drenched, Spirit-prompted set of words that express what God wants us to know. So that any person who reads Scripture in any way possible, in a song, it is sung in a, on a tombstone, uh, in reading Scripture, in reading Hebrew or Greek, in technical exegesis, the Spirit of God is there prompting us to understand it. So I've, I've become convinced that the Spirit of God is not something that applies to the application of Scripture, but is characteristic of every bit of our touching and experience of Scripture. So when we read it, the Spirit is present. When we develop analytical skills, the Spirit is present. When we're looking up words in Greek lexicons, the Spirit is present. When we are praying with the text, the Spirit is present. So the Spirit isn't present just when we pray for illumination. The Spirit is present from the, from the beginning to the end. Every time we get near Scripture, the Spirit of God is at work. Joining us today is Dr. Scott McKnight. Dr. McKnight is the author of, recently the author of the book, Open to the Spirit, which we've been discussing today. I've got, I've got two questions left as we try and uh, bring, this, bring this to a close. Um, the, first, the first is this. Um, I want to put myself in the shoes of the pastor who has, for a number of reasons, been becoming more open to the Spirit. The Spirit's transforming power. The Spirit's empowering for service and ministry and and, and effective witness. Uh, the pastor's becoming more open, but maybe they're part of a tradition, whether um, denominationally or, or maybe just a part of the tradition of the local church they happen to be pastoring, where they are discerning uh, a certain closeness to the Spirit. So the pastor is open, but but they are discerning, or they've sensed that the, the church itself is is relatively closed. Uh, 
how might you suggest that a, a pastor can start to go about um, bringing bringing the spirit into, or, or or working to increase the openness of the church, bringing the spirit into their into their ministry, so to speak, uh, in a way that that wouldn't necessarily be threatening, but that would also uh, be be real and have a real opportunity for the spirit's uh, presence to bring transformation to the church. How might the pastor go about doing that? Well, I seem to be asked this question in a number of forms, depending on the topic. So. Uh, uh, I, I'm really, I'm really glad you asked the question. The first, the first thing I would say is the pastor, himself or herself, uh, needs to be open to the spirit. And then the second thing is the pastor, the pastor needs to witness personally to the presence of the spirit in their life. So uh, there is a tendency at times for pastors to become to see themselves as preachers who are telling people how to live, whereas uh, they need to see themselves as disciples who are learning to follow Jesus and to live in the power of the Spirit themselves, and that the sermon is is an overflow of personal witness to what the Spirit is doing in them as well, not just what what the text says. So first, open to the Spirit. Secondly, is I think that they need to be a witness. And the third thing is I, I, I believe that uh, it is important for pastors to develop a principle of pastoring the people they've got, not pastoring the people they've not got. In other words, if, you're, if you've got a congregation that is not very receptive to your idea, that's the congregation you've got, and it is not your responsibility to... Um, try to change everybody all at once. So I, I would say pastor the people you've got. And so that's third. So that's a, that's a posture that I think we need to take pastorally. The fourth is I would, um, I would begin to work with elders or people close, you know, that you can be close to and uh, maybe develop some, uh, uh, a Wesleyan Holy club or a small group that is a little bit more open to the spirit and that you can be experimenting with one another, uh, listening to one another, and then let it be organic with a group in the church, and then out of that begin to expand. And it may, and my guess is that this is going to take time, and there are going to be people quite open to it, and there's going to be some people who are resistant to it, and that's the people you've got, and that's the people you've got to pastor. So first, be open yourself. Second, um, uh, be a witness to the presence of the Spirit in your life. Third, pastor who you've got. And fourth, develop small groups uh, or close associates where you can begin to practice this life in the Spirit and see, uh, and, and see as God begins to expand the work of the Spirit in your church. And and I can tell that we're there's something deep resonating between us, right? Yeah, so so we we do have shared, shared heritage there, um, and yet you've yes. also, you've also drawn on uh, a brother a brother in the Lord from uh, the Lutheran tradition with with Dietrich Bonhoeffer this idea of pastoring the church you have and and not yeah. finding after the church you don't. Yeah, in fact, you have a great quote from from Bonhoeffer's uh, masterful book Life Together uh, when he talks about not being stuck. And and chasing after uh, wishful thinking or 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 uh, false vision, right? Of this these wrong yeah. visions of who we think Christian community should be. Bonhoeffer yep. is, is so is so uh, 
steeped in faith that the Spirit is already at work, that he's saying, you know, work with the people that you have, pastor the church, love the church that you have, rather than pining for one that you don't. And uh, yeah, so I, pre- I appreciate those, those words of wisdom. Uh, let, me, let me finish up then by, by assuming that the pastor has done all those things and they've they found a, a couple of people who have, have begun to witness um, they found some people who are, are growing in openness to the spirit. And now they've come to the pastor and they're saying, how, how do we do this? How do we, how do we put uh, being open to the spirit? How do we shift that from being a posture to being uh, activity, to being something that we are living out? Uh, in the book, you've given, you've given uh, three ways. You talk about being uh, open to the one who, to the God who speaks in the living word, Christ. You talk about being open to the God who speaks in the written word of scripture and being open to the God who speaks in the prophetic word as well. So you've got some broader helps in the book as well. But but which one of those um, might you say is, is one that you're often affirming or suggesting to that the pastor would say, you know, if your person comes to you seeking, how do we be open to the spirit that you would say, tell them about this or, or make sure that they're starting to incorporate this practice into their life? Well, that's a, that, this is a good question, and I, I appreciate it, Aaron. I, okay, I, I think we make a mistake when we contain, I'm using that as an active verb now, transitive even, when we contain the Spirit by Scripture, rather than seeing Scripture as an expression of the Spirit to us so that the Spirit, so that God, so that Christ are not equated with Scripture, but they transcend Scripture as person. So I would say that, and this is the the reason I began where I did, uh, and that is we have to begin by recognizing that God speaks to us in the living Word that is Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Christ is what Paul calls the Holy Spirit at times in the New Testament. So I believe that we, I would tell people, I think you need to be open to what Jesus is saying to you. At other times, I would say, I think you need to be open to what God is saying to you. At other times, I would say, I think you need to be open to what the Spirit is saying to you. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I, I would, I would, I want to emphasize that our relationship to God is a relationship to a person not contained by Scripture, but expressed in Scripture. So I don't, I don't, I I like Tom Wright's statement uh, that he believes in the authority of God in Scripture rather than the authority of Scripture. Now this just, he's tweaking conservatives, of course, and he's, he knows he's doing it and he's loving it. But his point is important. We need to distinguish between God and Scripture, and that God is speaking to us through Scripture rather than God equals Scripture and Scripture speaking to us uh, as if it's not God, as if it's not God speaking to us. So uh, I would I would emphasize the personal, that God is speaking to us, the Spirit speaks to us, and that Christ, the living Word, speaks to us, and that Scripture is the constraining factor in this. In other words, what God, what the Spirit, what Christ says to you and to me today is constrained by Scripture in the sense that it will be consistent with Scripture, though we may do works greater than what Jesus said, according to himself, and that we may hear things 
that the scriptures only indicate in part. So we, we will grow in our discernment of what the Spirit is speaking to us today. Dr. McKnight, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, Aaron, it was great. Good questions. Not everybody asks good questions, you know. <laughs> Appreciate the encouragement and, and you're spending, uh, spending this time with us. And we're grateful for our listeners as well, spending the time with us on this podcast. We hope it's been a good resource for you and that you'll continue to check out the Wesley Seminary podcast and the other resources made available through the library on SoundCloud and at iTunes. Thanks so much for joining us today and have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.